Okay. So, here we are, another episode of The Rotten Core. And today, we have a very special guest. Um, this is one of the coolest episodes, obviously the coolest episode we've done so far. Uh, maybe one of the coolest episodes we will ever do. Because this involves a real-world local um, organizing uh, that has happened here in Augusta, in our little, beautiful little, in the south city. Uh, Here we have Jason with us today. Uh, And Jason helped organize a Starbucks. uh, And unionize a Starbucks. And they, they successfully voted to unionize. And so now we are interviewing Jason. Say hello, Jason. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. Um, he's here too. I am here also. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Um, <laughs> just in case y'all thought the Rotten Core was just one person now. Um, <laughs> I'm super excited to have Jason on, and I definitely agree with Andy. This is this is definitely the coolest episode we've done so far. No shade to the rest of the episodes. All right, I'm going to let y'all finish. But... The fact uh, <laughs> that we have a, like a, a Starbucks in the South in Augusta, Georgia, that voted to unionize. Um, we'll get into some questions in a little bit. We'll let Jason introduce themselves. But I just want to say it's very cool because I know that Atlanta and it may be coming, but there were two other locations that were trying to do it, and Augusta got it first. And that's just that's amazing. So um, introduce yourself, however you like, name, pronouns, if you want. Um, and yeah, and story whatever you want yeah um it's i appreciate you guys having me it's totally awesome everything that's happened it's been really cool really crazy um again my name's jason i am a 32 year old disabled veteran pronouns prefer he him um yeah i just i've been at starbucks for three years now and time seems necessary for a change yeah I really appreciate you guys having me on. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Definitely. It's feelings mutual. <clears throat> okay, so so we have a whole list of questions uh, that we that we want to ask you. We might not get to all this, um, and that's fine if we don't. We just, you know, we we have it all. All, all written down already so that we have a direction for this. So, first of all, we wanted to ask about your background. Um, and you said you're, you have, you gave us your pronouns, you gave us, uh, you said that you're a disabled vet, um, and you're from, you're from Georgia, right? Um, and so, like, I guess from there we should go, like, how did you get involved in unionizing a Starbucks, was it something that you initially thought you were going to do whenever you went to work, or is it like a response to conditions, or what? So yeah, the the decision to um, organize my store it came out of like a necessity after COVID. Things in the workplace kind of changed. The working conditions were just really really kind of disgusting especially like really right after you know the main part of COVID they started really relaxing policies and things like that and that kind of started trickling down to other things as well so they removed like I know during the pandemic they were like base pay was like $14 an hour and then they took that away and then you know other things that ha- happened within you know the larger Starbucks corporate network that just said that it was time for something to change. Um, and it's been a lot of like, my, my store has this joke, right? That we are the redheaded stepchild of Starbucks. And that's because we feel as though we have been just left out to do whatever we need to with no care or concern on the day-to-day, on the partners, how the partners feel about working there, any of that stuff. You know, and having been there for three years, I remember in 2019, it wasn't that way. You know, it was a little bit better, but there were still some issues that needed ironing out, you know. So I honestly, it, the whole process started with me finding out about the stores in Buffalo, New York, going to unionize. And then from there, talking to partners at my store about it, seeing if it was something they'd be willing or wanting to do and getting 
a lot of yeses to it and then deciding to like actually reach out to Starbucks Workers United and begin the process. That's that's really cool. And that's something really interesting, too, because um, this kind of goes into my next question. But um, in a lot of the articles that we like read and newspapers and stuff, it says that and you can correct me on these numbers that was it 26 to 5 that voted? Yeah, it was 26 to 5. And that is wild because usually in these things, especially we're seeing so many, um, so many like service industry and like just tons of different jobs, like start unionizing again um, and unions becoming more popular um, with stuff like I know efforts for like Amazon or whatever. Sometimes it's like, yeah, it's it's like opposite uh, ratio like people like no um people like we're scared you know and I wonder um when you like leading these efforts if, if you had any of that when you were talking to people like you're like well okay Buffalo New York did this like what if we could do this were there people who were like really hesitant and you had to be like well no this could be better for us or like how did that process go yeah of course this is a big change so there's always going to be those people who feel nervous or scared about pursuing that change. I mean, I even felt nervous or scared about it because one, I I don't generally think of myself as a leader, but deciding to take that on was just, you know, it was, it was terrifying, you know? And then talking to partners one-on-one, they have, the fear of course is, is there gonna be any retaliation? Is anybody gonna lose their job? And I think, the part of the reason why we took so long in doing it was because you know it's constantly changing the landscape of it as you're going through it so you have to constantly be reassuring people that no your benefits aren't going to change what we're trying to do is improve your benefits no your pay is not going to be garbage i'm trying to get you better pay and those things and constantly reminding people of that is what kept it afloat And then, of course, there were other things that happened at my store that helped keep it afloat as well. Can we go can we go into more about how the union uh, came to be? Um, You said that. You you were inspired by uh, union activity in another Starbucks, and then you uh, started asking around your fellow employees and they um, they said, yes, that's correct. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. We pretty much talked about it all the time on the floor. You know, um, of course, we care for management in here. So, so how did how did some of those conversations go? You don't have to give me any like particular names. Just like uh, we're 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 trying to, I guess, pick your brain a little bit so that other listeners who might also be interested in organizing their workplace could kind of understand maybe this some of the initial steps that they might have to go through or what it, what it might be like or have some frame of reference from your experience yeah absolutely um so those conversations were typically like hey did you hear about what was going on in buffalo new york and some people who had already heard about it would be like yeah some might say like how would you start that how would how would that happen here could it happen here you know and then the conversation going into well i don't know X, Y, and Z might happen. Um, what started the process was me reaching out after having so many of those conversations, reaching out on Twitter directly to Starbucks Workers United. And they gave me an email for a guy named Richard. I can't remember his last name, um, but I know he's kind of like overseeing it, like pretty much all of it. Um, and he redirected me to someone else named Alex. Alex kind of walks me through all the beginning steps, you know, forming a committee, you know, making sure that committee is someone is made up of like 20% of your staff. So for my story, it was like seven to eight people Um, and making sure it's people who are willing to not only talk about this, but also educate themselves and be knowledgeable about this and answer any and all questions that may arise, you know, from everybody else who's not on the organizing committee, you know, um, Of course, the biggest step is researching. You have to know like everything. You have to know what is like an unfair labor practice in order to make sure that that's not happening to you. You know, things like 
them flat out lying to you and say you're going to lose all your benefits and you can't transfer or borrow partners or borrow product, you know, making sure that those lies, if they're being told, you know, that you are handling, handling them accordingly, you know, um, beyond that, those are the initial steps. Once you've got those, like you, you kind of just talk to people. And like 90% of the whole process is just talking to your coworkers, educating them, letting them know, giving them the research, the resources, the tools in order to educate themselves further. Um, you know, I will always say it, Google is a great resource. You know, it's what got everything really going for me. And it was the main resource I used in order to find all of the information. Um, and yeah, once you once you've handled all of that, the rest is cake work, right? So once you have about, they say about thirty percent support in your store, you know, from signs, uh, union authorization cards, which basically say that partners or employees are willing to have a union represent them. Once you have about thirty percent of that, you can file for an election. Generally speaking, you want to have a lot more than that. So at my store, we got about to like 70% just to make sure that one, they knew like, yeah, this is happening, but not only is this happening, there is an overwhelming support for it. Um, not only that, by the time you get to the election, you need to have 51% of the vote in order for it to pass. So if you're at like 70%, you're better off than you are if you're at 30%, because then you still have to gain uh, more support. Yeah, I see. Once you started the election, the did the numbers of like did the percentage of support you had did it grow or shrink? So once we got into the election, my support for it was pretty much set in stone, and that kind of goes into some of the things that happened when um, we filed and it was announced that we filed. So they initially fired like. After a week after we announced, they fired our store manager. And so that pretty much locks people in. You know, so the only people who changed their votes are people who are already on the fence anyway. So those five people were about what I expected to see. You know, what I was surprised at was the overwhelming of the 26, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, y'all won the election with a really high margin, yeah, didn't you? Twenty-six to five. Twenty-six to five. That's that's very impressive. Um, Key, do you have any? Uh, do you want to chime in with some questions? Yeah, um, this question's a little bit a breakup from like stuff about specifically unionizing, but a question that we had on here um, is like, that like. How does it feel for you personally to be like around like on newspaper articles across the country? I mean, I know I, the one I was reading that had the most quoted by you was like from AJC, which is Atlanta Journal Constitution, which I know, you know, and and for like a follow up to that is like, is it, is it like what what do you think about it? How do you feel about that? How do what does your friends and family think if you want to share that? And also, is there anything I know we'll probably get into it most of this podcast, but is there anything that like when these people are interviewing you for like Augusta Chronicle or wherever that like you wish they would have asked you or you wish you could have said um, in those, in those processes. I know it was a whole bunch of questions. <laughs> oh, you're fine. I, I think I got it all. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's weird seeing myself in newspapers. It's weird going online and seeing friends or family sharing the article, especially the one from the Augusta Chronicle. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's not normal for me, at least, to see myself out there. Um, like I said, I don't naturally think of myself as a leader or someone, you know, who would be in newspapers, you know. Um, but it's exciting. It's really cool, you know. And my friends and my family, typically, they get excited with me, and they're really excited about it. I mean, my mom has been amazing and supportive through it all and just wanted to make sure that I was okay. So, you know, a lot of support there. Um, anything that they didn't mention or that I wish I had said, I mean, 
not really. I think for the most part, they got it all right. I mean, there was one correction that I would make, and it was actually for the article in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and the AJC. Um, it was like towards the end of the article, they, I had misspoke and that that one of my partners was going to be like on leave for like six weeks for like back surgery, but it's not for back surgery and it's 12 weeks. Um, but other than that, I think for the most part, they got it right. You know, there's some articles I saw that were talking about, they took the right, in, in the political sense, the right left, the right-leaning approach to it and was talking about how it seems pointless because you work at a Starbucks. Why would you want to unionize a Starbucks? That's ridiculous. Starbucks is a very great company. It's very progressive. But like, but like everything else like if we don't constantly improve we're just gonna stay stagnant and things will just get worse so we should always be improving our workplace our lives and everything yeah plus even if you take that at face value and you assume that starbucks i mean i don't necessarily but you assume for whatever reason like it matters starbucks is marginally better you know, or even significantly better than these other corporations. Like, better than, like, trash is still possibly trash. <laughs> you know, like, you, just because you cleared that hurdle didn't mean that, like, it doesn't mean that it's, like, the best place to work or even, like, you know, uh, like, there's no exactly. gripes to be had. So that's, that's a really well, good Well, what that is, is when you, whenever I hear people say better than trash, and maybe it's because we say that about a lot of different things in in our conversation but like um for example a little quick aside here and here in augusta and a lot of places in georgia actually because we don't have the uh don't have the processes we don't have the 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 structure to do recycling properly that's why you know if you see a bottle of something you'll see new york you'll see idaho whatever but we don't have it here in um in Georgia, there's not that many uh, facilities that can actually recycle your stuff. They only take like two or three types of plastic. So what I think of and when people are like, oh, well, this is like they seem pretty progressive and they might do stuff for pride or like they have like a very diverse, um, you know, a very diverse staff. It's like, OK, it's a recycling bin and recycling bins look really cool until you find out in this state, most of the recycling goes to the trash. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm not saying it's the same thing as trash because there's an effort there. Like some of that stuff will go to recycling, but most of it goes to the trash. So it doesn't matter how it's packaged because I think a lot of people, I've heard that from a lot of people whenever I was like telling people, I was like, oh, Augusta, Starbucks, you know, as they're like, well, it's already like a really cool place. And I'm like, okay, it can be a better place, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. And, and you're, and you're really saying really cool relative to places that you think are like like total like but like not good you know the way i think about it is it's like the nina turner said in the election between trump and joe biden right that joe biden is like eating half a bowl of i don't know if y'all curse on him so um she said it's like eating a bowl of shit you know and like okay i i agree just because Joe Biden is the only option to Trump doesn't mean he's great. He still has a lot of improvement that he could make, you know? And so that, that it, like, Starbucks has a lot of improvement, a lot. Yeah. And, like, the benefits they have now, most companies actually offer the same or a little bit better in some areas. Okay, and that actually segues into... Uh, two of our questions um, and you can just answer the first one and I can repeat the second one later. But the first one is, would you consider, what would you consider some examples for better pay training benefits and working conditions all around? And the second one that's going to lead, that's going to follow after that is, do you already have a contract for these things signed with Starbucks or is that something you're working towards? And if so, how's that going? Okay, so it'll be easier for me to answer the second question first. We do not have a contract yet. Um, we are still very early stages for bargaining. Um, that's still very early on, so I don't have much information there. We haven't actually even begun negotiations yet. Um, mm. Hi. Okay, so this is Future Key. 
This is the first time in this recording that the audio cut out. We record these things on Discord and uh, we use bots to record them so sometimes they just cut us off. In the future we'll kind of try to avoid this but I want to fill in a little bit of a gap. We asked a question based on something that uh, Jason's coworker had said which is like the equivalent to what a Starbucks employee gets paid an hour is like two large drinks or three medium drinks, something around that. So we were really kind of talking about pay and you can follow it up and pick it up here. Enjoy. <laughs> we're back online. Craig is back. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, we had a little technical difficulties there, everybody. Um, so wait, was that was that last question answered because you you basically just asked how many like actual products are you making like how many actual drinks you're making and you 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 said you haven't kept count but i'm guessing you're making like way more than three <laughs> well it's not a it's not a super serious question but i mean yeah obviously that's that's the point is like they're probably making you know you know, several more than three, <laughs> a, a large number more than three in an hour. So one, one order can be three all on its own. Um, and that happens a lot. A mom or a dad or just a family in general will come through. They'll get two small frappuccinos for the kids and then mm -hmm. two venti ones for themselves. And that's, that's more than I make wow. an hour right there. And uh, we're gonna get back to more questions, but another quick aside. I guess that's the like I'm the I'm the royalty of the sides because that's just what I do, I guess. But you know, one thing um, a, a close family member said to me uh, when um, during the height of the pandemic, when uh, places were trying to like raise their hours, and like you said, they they raised the the price at um, Starbucks um, for pay, and they like lord and stuff uh one thing they said to me is like oh well why do they need the raise price so they're gonna get their so they can just be paid more to get my order wrong and it's so weird that so many people have these these sentiments although the service industry especially food service is so huge to people's lives i mean i know i personally know like six people that i can think of right now who go to starbucks every day like they have to that's their thing so like but then the idea like from the public perception of like oh these people should be paid more it's like wild to them even though this is like they literally like depend on this this service um so i guess that's not really a question but i guess could be how do you feel or have you faced any of that like of people being like why are you doing this essentially yeah absolutely um i don't know why people feel that way that that always makes no sense to me how you can sit up and go to a place every single day and then be like why should these people be paid more maybe they should be paid more because you come every single day and sometimes you may be a difficult customer sometimes you may be a great customer but it should be getting paid more because every day i have to take all of it you know the good the bad the ugly whatever you know i had one customer around Christmas time come in and we were out of whipped cream. We were slammed because, you know, where my store is at, it's surrounded by shopping just everywhere, you know? So we were slammed and this woman was upset that we didn't have whipped cream. Um, like, I don't get it. It's like 1% of your drink. If that, she called, she called us elves and told us to whip up some more. And I was like, we're not elves, we're human beings. And so she demanded a refund. You know, it's things like that is why we should be getting paid more because those things leave a mark. That's literal dehumanization, you know, and that that leaves a mark with people. That's that's most of us have like mental illness in some kind of way. You know, that's going to stay in someone's head until they go to bed at night, even past that. Yeah, that's very, that's brutal. You know, what What also gets me about, like, this this conversation we're having is, like, even, let's, you know, like, because you're talking about, like, how it's, like, dehumanizing and stuff, and, like, that totally, like, um, like vibes with me, but there's some heartless people out there who might not even care. And I, I just want to say to those people, like, even if you don't care about the human being on the other side of the register, 
just practically speaking, it's better for you if they're paid better and if they're because their whole life is going to be going better and they'll probably be more likely to get your stupid order right anyway. <laughs> you know, if their work conditions are better. Part of the part of the reason why these things happen is not just because bad people made your I don't know your sandwich or your drink that you didn't even make yourself. You know, first of all, you got to realize how like you're dependent on these people, but like the reason why you make mistakes is because you're overworked, underpaid, stressed, so on and so forth. So support unions. I'm sorry, I'm going on a tire. It's true. Um, but. Um, yes, yeah, like, no, it's, it's important though, right? Cause like, um, like you said, it's, it's, it's something that I, well, one thing that really confuses me is like people who I haven't ever looked at the statistics and maybe I should do that after this episode, but it's like, everyone has had to work in the service industry or like not have had, not everyone, but a lot of people have had to. So it's like, whether they worked at like a retail store or a dollar store or a food service place or something like I'm like so why are y'all acting like this isn't your thing like I remember I worked at a uh, Chick-fil-A as I uh, lovingly call it sometimes I worked there and that was one of my first jobs and people would just scream at me and it was like a one that was inside of a food court and I was like how like h- how do you expect me to do anything when I'm crying like I am I was like you know 17 or whatever but um, there's an important question, kind of a follow-up into that is uh, after you started the the union vote and like all the press coverage um, got out, are there, are, I guess, are there and were there any like hostile customers like due to that or like talk to y'all about that at work or something like that? Customers who talked about it with us at work, um, most of them that talked to us about it were supportive and told us good job and good luck and that they hope for the best. And it's usually the regulars who come in every single day that come in and care and are interested. Um, The ones who aren't regular, they tend to leave comments. And Starbucks did this great thing of um, allowing us to be able to see customer comments from the survey. So we actually did have one customer like complain, if I'm not mistaken, in the comments saying that, oh, well, they're a union store now, so the prices are going to go up. It's like, that's that's not how that works. But like, okay, cool. I get it. You don't support what we're doing, but we're doing it so we can be happier and more fulfilled in our lives so we can provide better service for you. We can make the drinks that you like to get every single day, you know, and you won't be unhappy about it. People just don't get it. You know what I mean? It's, it's like hit or miss. Yeah, totally. 100% get what you mean. Um, so I have I have a, a kind of a, a terrible segue. There's so such that there is no segue. I just want to kind of ask another question. Um, what was the responding strategy from Starbucks that tried to kind of fight back against your unionization efforts? Not only during like um, your process of becoming a union but now like even after now that you are a union yeah so kind of touched on it before like immediately like the week after they fired our store manager who was the one who hired most of us and we all had some kind of emotional attachment to him because he was actually there for us he actually cared he actually supported us um after that they brought in a store manager from a different district who did not know us um to be our interim store manager and so they got someone else they brought in a store manager team who were sent to like make our store more efficient. Um, they did an awful job, by the way. They made us much, much less efficient than we already were, um, and that like meant like they like completely changed our back of house and where all of our products and everything were. So we had to relearn our store, and then things that we had like bought and brought into the store in order to like make things a lot easier they threw away um so dealing with that they gave us a new district manager i will say she hasn't been awful here lately especially she has been trying to make sure that we are supported um, 
but up to the election, she just didn't care. Every day they would sit inside of our cafe, sit there all day long. They would see us struggling, having just the worst time ever. They could see a customer arguing with us and they just sat there and they watched or they just listened. And it was intimidating. It was aggravating because Starbucks likes to call everybody partners within their corporation. But you can't really say you're a partner when your fellow partners are struggling and you're just sitting there. Uh, I was just going to say really quickly is, you know, when you first, when we first started this interview and you, you talked about like how Starbucks calls their employees, calls you guys partners. And um, I think that's a tactic when I think about a lot of different, you know, different, um, I don't know, different food and service and retail, like those industries, they, they don't call you employees. They're like, no, we're, we're a family here. Right. But like, it's like, if we're partners, let's be equal. Let's, you know, like, let's, let's, you know, and um, I don't know, I just wanted to point that out to the, the audience listening here, because I, I oftentimes thinking about that whenever you see like jobs, they're like, oh, yeah, you're, um, you're associate, your partner, you're sometimes they make up really like weird names. I've worked at a lot of different retail places and a couple food places. And I think that's kind of a weird thing that they do, because it's like, it has you thinking you have some type of control um yeah the, like some type of control over uh your workplace status but you usually don't like everyone who's not partner does um but yeah i'm sorry to interrupt No, you're fine. You're absolutely right. It's definitely a factor. You know, we call each other partners. Maybe, you know, the partners on the lower level will be like, oh, yeah, we're partners. Everything's cool. Everything's fine. But, like, realistically, we're not all partners. If we were all partners, we'd have more say in everything that was going on. We'd be able to control whether or not we want to do happy hours, you know, which, for those that don't know, happy hour is when you can come to Starbucks, you can get like a buy one, get one. It used to be that it would be like Frappuccinos. You'd buy one Frappuccino and get the same Frappuccino for free. And, you know, those were awful. And supposedly they might be bringing those back. You know, it's definitely a tactic. And it's definitely something that I think more people are starting to see through, you know. Um, other things that happened, though, was mainly just, you know, Typical stuff that they were doing everywhere else as well, right? So, like, they were doing one-on-one -on -one conversations with us where it would be this manager that we didn't know and this person from that store manager team. And they would tell us, like, all the typical misinformation. Now, for me, they didn't say anything like they did to the other people that I work with. So, for them, they told them, like, oh, you're gonna, you could potentially lose benefits. You can... Uh, you could lose the ability to pick up shifts at a different store, to transfer to a different store. You won't be able to borrow products. You kind of will just be on your own by yourself um, without any help. Um, that you wouldn't get any raises that Starbucks puts out, any new changes to benefits or anything like that. But like all of that's BS because all Starbucks has to do at the end of the day is go to the union and be like, hey, we're going to roll out these pay increases. We're going to roll out this better health insurance package. Do you want us to give it to your members? And the union's going to be like, yeah. If it's better than what they already have in their contract, of course. Oh, no, I was going to say, like, all of these things, like this narrative that Starbucks is weaving, it's like the narrative of, like, an abusive, like, partner or something. You know, like, they're saying, like, they're trying to define the relationship for you. They're trying to tell you what, how you regard them, like by calling you a partner. That's like, it's like, it's like, no, I, I, I decide who I'm a partner with. Like, what are you talking about? And then like, and then just like lying about like the bald, like obvious fact that like their employees start out alone. Starbucks is not on their side. It's their employer. Like in, and under capitalism, like, obviously you need a job. And so it's like, it's like a good thing for you to have a job because you need money to live. But you're 
going to work there and like like we've talked about earlier you're making all these you know frappuccinos and you're getting paid a penance of the portion of the value that you're producing you know and so like there's an antagonistic relationship inherent to um being a starbucks employee the the antagonism is that starbucks needs you to to be dependent on them so that they can siphon out your labor and build their empire and that's just that's just that's the starting point and for them to say that like oh if you join with your fellow workers and you actually have community now that you're alone it's like it's like that's like you're lying like 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 you're obviously lying and you're doing it in this way that's like like gaslighting i guess i don't know it's just it's just really like i mean i i'm not surprised this is just neoliberalism you know in a nutshell that's how they do but it's just it's just disgusting to hear about it no it absolutely is disgusting to hear about like i you know i knew that some of this stuff kind of would happen but like it's still just amazing to see it in person you know of course not amazing in a good way just it's just like wow you're you're actually doing this and you know i think that's a larger like yeah it's a problem within starbucks but i think that's a larger problem with capitalism as a whole you know it's always about the people here and on the bottom who's got to work every day to make ends meet they need us we don't need them so it's very adversarial it's very antagonistic you know um it happens, you know, it happens every day. But to see, like I said, to see it happening within Starbucks, the place that I've been for like three years, you know, was just astounding. Um, yeah. Um, he, uh, just so you know, I am hands-free uh, driving right now. So I'm not able to read any questions off. I can still participate in the conversation but I really can't uh, progress the conversation. <laughs> so could you please help me out here? Worries. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's no worries because, you know, a lot of the questions we kind of like asked, we, we were trying to go in order, but we kind of bounced around. I think we got mostly everything. So now I'm just going to kind of like uh, free ball it. What is, is that, That's not what I meant to say, but. Um, go ahead, let your balls hang Yeah, out. free for <laughs> <laughs> All right, but no, um, yeah, I mean, when we talk about these things, it kind of like gro grows up into what all of this is about, really. And um, two things, actually, I better, you know, write this down or keep this in mind was inspiration and also like the the relationship that uh, we have with capitalism and our employers and whatever. When Andy was talking about how it's an abusive relationship that we have, that's that's really how I see it, right? Because um, I, I also as a like as a you know a person disabled I don't um I I'm I'm an artist but I'm I'm an at home stay at home baby right so I I really kind of after having lots of like medical stuff happen to me I realized like oh like capital only cares about you if you can work and if you can work they don't give a they don't give a fuck about what you can do unless they can you can produce money for them and i think it shows on a huge level when we talk about like capitalism as a structure of um this country but also on a smaller level in our workplaces and other thing i was going to talk about with inspiration is so everything that you're doing jason you you have no idea how much we were like fan fan girling <laughs> when we were able to get an interview with you because this one this one thing like a union at a Starbucks in Augusta in the South, like this is wild. This is such a cool thing. And like knowing that you can do this, you have family, you have tons of other things. I know your, your like coworkers probably have tons of other things they got going on too. And it really shows that like you can band together and get things done. And that's what, you know, unions are about. They're not some scary thing that like they're going to steal all your money or whatever that, you know, the union busting people try to say. It's really about like. I'm trying to get, I'm sorry for interrupting, but I'm trying to get Jason's signature on my chest. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, because also, did I already mention this? Like the way that Jason's name is spelled is like, I don't ever want to see Jason spelled another way. I mean, it was, it was already going to be baller from the jump. I already fucking knew. Um, 
I actually, that is not the way my name is technically spelled. I came up with that because I'm an artist myself. I went to SCAD. I, I studied to be a graphic designer. Um, but like while I was there, I was going to come up with a creative name. I got to come up with a creative name. And I just took my middle name and spelled it weird. And was like, let's go with it. Yo, I would have never. Known. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And also, we got to we definitely got to talk after show because um, I think some some of you you folks I, I said it recently but you know I'm an artist too and I just uh, I love it I studied at Savannah but I was not at SCAD and um it's uh Savannah's beautiful but um yeah it's just you're you're a real inter- inspiration and we're not just saying this to gas you up because you're our guest or whatever but it's, it's really it's really true like we're like okay if if Daisy could do this with this we can do this with this like there's so many things going on in Augusta there's um there's I don't know I don't want to say it like problems but there's so many things that could be worked on like I know in Atlanta they have a uh these these people who were homeless they started their own homeless union to advocate for themselves and be like hey the government said they gave you a whole bunch of money for to work on um issues for homeless and unhoused people and this is what we want to do with that money and they went up with to like city hall or wherever else they need to go to talk about it and there's tenants doing it at like apartments and housing complexes and also you know workplaces and it's just wild this is not the most amount of any activity we've ever had I think I was probably more like in the coal mining and factory era of time but we're starting to see a a, like a, a spike up in this and it's very cool like I'm just I'm just I'm over the moon about it because it means like it's possible <laughs> it's possible now I want to I want to actually yeah. Oh, go ahead. If you got something to say on that, go for it. I was just going to say, yeah, absolutely. It's it's amazing to see it happening as big as it is right now, right? Because, like, my childhood, I didn't know anything about unions. I wasn't taught that in school. Like, the most I knew was about the coal, like you said, and the factory workers. I didn't think they were still around today. And to see it happening literally everywhere. Like, I wish I could take the being the first in the South, but... That actually goes to, I believe, a store in South Carolina, you know, Um, you've got, I believe it's strippers in L.A. that just organized. Yeah, I saw that. So cool. It's literally everywhere. It's literally for everything, as it should be. You know, people should have rights and say in their everyday life, you know, and it's about time we take that back. Yeah, so actually, that's what I wanted to talk about was, okay, so. Um, there's this, like, um, I guess this, there's this problem that, that happened with, uh, unionizing where like industrial production, like automotive sectors and all that sort of thing that all got shipped overseas. And for some reason, the labor movement in our country was just like, so like utterly like not they didn't adapt they not only slow to adapt they just didn't adapt straight up and like unionization like point like was always focused on like the point of production is what it's called like you know the, like like where you make a car and so on and so forth and like our economy has now become a service economy where 80% of people who are employed who get a wage they're working a service job of some kind and that's where the, that's where this like wave of unionizing is happening. Like it's, you know, I mean, a stripper obviously was a service worker. Uh, a barista is obviously a service worker, even though you make coffee, you're performing a service. Um, but then like also like Amazon is like, a, it's like a distribution service, you know? And I, I just think that like, cause so when I first came to Augusta, I was, I was, I was already wanting to do like a union and, I started trying to do like a tenants union. Um, and uh, some of the people here also have like, you know, tried to be involved in a tenants union and we haven't had a lot of success. And I went back and looked at why. And I think that part of the reason is there's just not a lot of population density here. And there's a lot of like a lot of places where tenants unions are very successful are places with a lot of apartment complexes. And I know that we have some here, but you know, it like really the biggest successes are places like LA, Houston, um, Seattle, you know, all these like big cities that you, that, that somebody who's never been to the state that they're in knows by name. Right. So there's a lot of population density in these cities. Um, cause they're really huge. 
and not just that they're huge, but you know, they just do have population. Anyway, point is, uh, that's an aside. <laughs> uh, the point is, is that like, there just hasn't been until very recently this this effort to unionize in the service economy. I guess you know, or at least I I, I don't know if there has been a lack of effort or just a lack of success. I don't know, but obviously it seems like that would that should have been the frontier since like I don't know the 70s or whenever Fordism ended, whenever we shipped all of the production overseas, you know? So it, we, so the reason I bring all this up, and I'm going on this huge tirade here, is we earlier we talked about anti-capitalism and the kind of abusive relationship of it. And obviously this podcast is about, you know, anti-capitalism. It's about, you know, building socialism and stuff like that. Uh, workers' power. And you and and what you've done, I feel like, is you have successfully built. Hello, this is Future Key, the audio cutout. Um, we use Audacity, which is free. We also use Discord to record these calls. So sometimes, with the bots, with the systems, with everything, things get a little cut. But please enjoy the rest of our conversation, starting now. Oh, you're fine. Look, back in the day, I used to do YouTube videos, so like I understand all the technical difficulties and stuff like that. Yo, me too. I want to actually get started and start doing again. All my friends told me I should, but I've been like, oh, I don't know if I should. I'm like, why not? Like, why not? Um, why not? But it would be a great way to showcase like your art and stuff too. Yeah, that's what everyone says. I, I got to show you some of my stuff later. I make miniatures and it's, <laughs> and I'm like obsessed with them and I sculpt stuff and all that. But um, yeah. Wait, and also, did, you know. What you doing your picture, your profile picture? It's like a little sushi thing? Yeah, yeah, and that's like less than an inch, um, but that actually is big for what I'm doing right now. I'm doing 148 skill, but um, we could talk about it later. <laughs> Andy, what was the question? Oh, gosh. Uh, basically, I mean, it, w- it wasn't really a question so much as it was like a like just a, a, like a subject uh, prompt, uh, and, and it's just like, you know, with that, like, that, that analysis that I put out, like, you know, the, the service economy and how industrialization has left us and we don't really produce things in this country. We're all service workers, you know, Amazon and so on. Walmart, they're the biggest corporations in our country. Uh, they're some of the biggest corporations in the world. And like, why has the left in the anti-capitalist, you know, so-called uh, movement of, you know, why, why did they stay... I guess, like married so hard to the idea of unionizing industrial labor and stuff like that. Why, why weren't they adaptive and why, and why, why have we been so slow? And I'm really just complaining, right? I like that we haven't unionized the service economy. (laughs) That's really what I'm doing. So like, I feel your complaint, right? And I know like, you're right, like back in the, 80s i know for starbucks specifically they're like starbucks used to actually have a lot more unions within it um and then in around the 80s howie howard schultz i call him howie um just decided to root out all of the uh the unions within starbucks and that's why you know him coming back is not the thing that everybody likes to make it out to be um it's actually a very dangerous thing for him to be back especially for workers um he gets away with a lot but like to that point the issue right is there's not a lot of labor laws there's not a lot of things in like place to actually check these corporations and actually allow for these things to go on allow for them to unionize you know a company can get away with union busting very easily in this company so that will on its like that alone will lead to a lot of losses you know i think the biggest thing that has helped with the movement we are in right now is social media and it's a gift and a curse right like social media but in this instance it's it's a great gift because you can reach out to people and be like hey this is what's happening this is what's going on and it can educate other people as well and it can since our political figures are on there it can educate them as well whether or not they're receptive to it is a whole other thing and the left i mean while i align with the left they're not the best at getting getting it together and 
taking a central message and drilling that message in like the the right side is you know they you know you look at abortion right and the right has been doing a great job of driving their opinion their side on that but the left has never figured out how to do that and because of that a lot of things for everyday people has tend to suffer because they don't know how to meet that challenge do you know i have a theory on why this is especially with the left and we should do a whole episode about it um there's uh kind of like terminology and like language there's a lot of people I know who they're leftists, they've been leftists for a while and they can be kind of wrapped up in the way they say things. And like, it doesn't make sense. We are talking to a regular person. You're like, all right, so you're a part of the proletariat and you do this, you do this. And they're like, it's what, you know, like <laughs> not saying that that's a big word. I think most people kind of know what that is just working class or, you know, someone who's a worker. But I think the reason why the left have never, I shouldn't say never, but struggles to unify in the same way that the right does is that the right and I don't mean this in a I'm not saying this in a negative way although I don't obviously agree with like right or far right things but they're very insidious and by that I mean they can very easily creep into spaces like there's a whole like gamer to like like fascist pipeline on YouTube and Reddit and these other spaces and in the example you gave about like abortion and Roe v. Wade and these things like you can just you just make a message you make it simple and you make it about like just one or two different things like some people might make it about religion even though it's not necessarily about it for some people who disagree with um people doing what they want to to their bodies so it's it's i think it's it's kind of that is a hard part but what i think is really cool about unions in general is that they can kind of be um I think I'm using the word correctly, bipartisan, like there are people across the, you know, political platform who agree with unions. They might be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm very conservative, but like my great grandpa was in a union and that means they have to be good or something, or it might just be someone who's somewhere else on the spectrum. And they're like, oh yeah, I think, you know, unions are good because, you know, I want better pay or something like similar like that. And that's why I think, um, organizing in a space that's made for unions is a little bit easier than doing like other, not easier. I think it's have a bigger range of people to, to like help because it's not really about like, you're not saying anything that could be viewed as controversial. I mean, I guess pay is controversial to some people, but for most people you're saying, Hey, I want better pay. Don't you? And they're like, yeah, but it's not talking about like someone's human rights or damn it I guess it is it's kind of a a sticky situation but I do find it what I'm trying to say is that with unions I think you can kind of get people wherever they're at because it's just about their work life and um, other issues that that the left and right and everyone in between kind of work on are about things that are personal but not in the sense of work so they might be about um bodily autonomy and these other things i'm rambling i'm gonna stop <laughs> i'm gonna just stop like <laughs> no we're 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 going to church over here you're preaching so you don't don't think that you're not uh you're what i'm trying to say is unions are like driven by like material interests so like right away what you need as opposed to social issues that's the biggest difference yeah yeah yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think a lot of these, like, social issues are kind of, um, they kind of spin out of these material interests, you know, like, um, they're produced out of them, even if they're, even if, obviously, like, the materiality to, like, social issues is distinct, it's, like, distinctly not, you know, economic, it's still, it kind of, like, there's a dimension to its existence that, like, has an economic basis, like, and it's in the way it's produced, you know? Um, one, one example is just like, um, like, uh, how before women were in the workforce and like the sexism of that time, like they did all this labor and it was just not, um, you know, economically, uh, quantifiable, right? Like there was no way to, to make money off of it. And so that was part of, part of the way that women were marginalized is they didn't have money in their bank accounts. So they couldn't just leave the men who they were dependent on, you know? And so like these, like, these like material economic um, interests, they they help produce these the social interests that you're. Yeah, I would say they're all like they're all connected in a sense. 
right? Like, I hate to keep going back to abortion, right? But, like, you look at that, right? They repeal Roe v. Wade, right? That I can't. Work. I can't hear. I think you're breaking. Work at now. And now they have. Am I? Is that better? Um. So. Say something. So, they're working at Starbucks. They're trying to make ends meet. Now they have an unexpected pregnancy. Someone says that you know they have to keep that baby full term. They don't have the money because again, Starbucks doesn't pay enough. They're their parental leave is garbage. Um, so now that person's doing this and it could have been avoided if they had the option to go and get an abortion, you know, and their life doesn't also have to be at risk if they choose to go an unsafe route to get an abortion because it's been repealed. You know, it all kind of like weaves its way in together, you know? Oh, that's absolutely right. Like, and I, I think uh, the kind of argument is sometimes there's an argument from a, um, I don't know, from like, from perspectives like, oh, this is, you should, is this is the right thing to do, this moral thing. But I just, it, it breaks my heart to think about how many people are in orphanages and foster care in the United States. Let's not do the whole like, oh, in other countries, like here in our house, right here, you got people who need things and y'all just let them be alive and not take care of them. And so it's, it's really hard, especially as like a, like, you know, a fab person, I guess, to see like how divisive it, it seems for some reason. Um, and a thing I'm concerned about, and I guess we're getting into a couple other topics now though, is that like, if Roe v. Wade was repealed, that kind of opens the door for them to start repealing other things. For example, I married to a white man. So, <laughs> you know, people talked about it. People joke about it. But I'm like, Loving v. Virginia is not that old, baby. It came from, was it 1967? Someone in the, in the I think I'll probably get corrected in the chat somewhere. But um, basically taking away people's rights, like, it affects so much stuff. And like you said, the safety of, of a person. And then, and then at the end of the day, it fucks over capital because that person's not going to be able to work. It's like, I just, I don't know what, what these people are thinking. Um, I guess, um, yeah, but I'm going to, I'm going to see if I have some other, couple other questions to get back slightly to you and stuff. And if I don't, then we can just, let me see. I think we kind of, we kind of like end up asking everything. I have a question. What questions do you have for us, if any, for uh, either me or Andy? Okay. Um, so I know you try to start a union here. Uh, it's questions for Andy. Um, and you said that the issue was that the population density was not where it realistically needs to be, right? Are you still pursuing that or you just kind of like decided it's not going to happen here or you're going to just try again later no 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 we're still pursuing it so where we're at right now um first let me give you a little bit let me give you a little bit of background on where i'm from so i used to in houston i was in a tenants union um and the kind of union that we were was not a like national uh, labor relations board, right? We're not, we're not, cause like we don't want to deal with things like Taft Hartley or card check. You know, I, I don't know if you're aware of what those are, but um, basically there's a bunch of like anti-union legislation that um, gets rolled into like having official recognition as a union. And there's obviously there's advantages of that nonetheless, because there's a degree of protection that you get from the NLRB. But at the same time, it also ties your hands in very, like, significant ways. Um, and especially considering, like, what, a t like, the model for tenants unionizing, it, it kind of, like, relies on these specific things. So, like, for example, like, Taft-Hartley um, outlaws, like, jurisdictional strikes, wildcat strikes, solidarity or political strikes, 
secondary boycotts, secondary and mass picketing, closed shops, and monetary donations by unions to federal or political campaigns. And so that's just like a one example of like a grab grab bag of tactics that we would maybe want to be able to dip into, or at least, you know, with the way that organization was done in Houston, like that was an option that they wanted to keep on the table, at least at the time that I was there. I don't know if they're still um, not federally recognized. Um, and so we're trying, I was trying to do the same thing here basically. And so to say that we're a union, really what I'm su- suggesting is that we're trying to aid tenants and do collective actions to win demands from their landlord for whatever their demands may be. And, um, yes, we're still interested in doing that. Um, in fact, hold on, let me, Say I'm just sending a message to my wife. Uh, she's about to get off, by the way. Uh, in fact, we we're actually uh, planning on expanding into more than just tenant union work. Um, but we still do have a tenants union. But we're trying to here in Augusta, we're trying to form like a solidarity network of um, just trying to tie various fights and struggles together, um, finding whether it's LGBT issues tenants issues, uh, point of production or service economy unionizing. I mean, any, any kind of struggle that people may have, we're trying to, cause I feel like, um, there's like, we've talked a lot about like material interests and there's, I think people have a much more shared material interest than maybe they're not, maybe they're always aware of. Um, one, one kind of like example that I like to go to is, um, I'm really, uh, vibe with this like uh, this kind of slogan from Race Trader magazine that says uh, treason to whiteness is loyalty to humanity and that's just like a real succinct way of saying that you know white supremacy in the short run benefits you but in the long run and in absolute terms it makes society so much worse that you're better off without it and we should abolish it and so you know I think that's a that's a kind of a small example of how like other people what seems like on the surface, it's just other people's struggles. Um, it applies to it. It applies to you no matter who you are. Nearly um, uh, another kind of like succinct slogan for this is like an injury to one is an injury to all. You might have heard this, and so like that's a kind of like solidarity attitude that this solidarity network that we're trying to form uh, is kind of like approaching things with. Um, but yeah, we still do tenant unionizing, or we, we try to. The The main problem is like, so we've had, we've actually had one success where we helped tenants draft a demand letter. And we didn't know this because all the tenants, they all left the apartment complex and they all lost contact with us. But I ran into one of them and she said, oh, we did, we delivered the letter and we want all the demands on the letter and all this kind of stuff. And thank you so much for helping us. I'm like, wow, I feel like I didn't do it. <laughs> You know, like y'all did it all. But I guess we also like helped them, you know, in the process and at least think about what they were doing uh, and draft things up. So, I mean, it's not to say that we have had no successes with the tenants union, but really the issue is that one of the thing, one of our goals, one of our maybe our biggest goal or like our standard for success was to help tenants in an apartment complex form a tenant council when demands and have a sustained relationship with them where we can return to any future struggles that they might have. And that's what we have failed to do. Um, and so whenever I'm saying like, oh, the tenant union, it failed, or we have failed so far, like that's all I mean is that we haven't we haven't really reached the apex goal that we've set for ourselves. Um, and that's not like the total apex. I mean, the total apex would be like to keep doing that to multiple apartment complexes and so on, but you know, gotta start where we're at. So. I don't know. Um, on a certain level, another part of me says that, like, for example, like you work at the workplace that you unionized, right? We generally don't live in the apartment complexes that we're trying to um, unionize. And so there's like a structural difference there where we are clearly an outsider coming into like a neighborhood, right? And I feel like that's even more, maybe even more significant in a neighborhood. And so, like, maybe the successes that we have had, and it's not like that one example was the only thing that we did, but I would say, I would say it's the most successful that we uh, of all the examples I could think of. 
I think I think we've done well for ourselves despite um, some of the issues that we faced. And so I'm not like ready to just like give up tenant unionizing. I also think that like being in the South, uh, maybe I don't know. I mean, I, I'm from the South, so I, I guess I can say this. I feel like people that I've grown up with around here, like. Are, not I'm not from Georgia, I'm from Texas, but from the South, like generally they've been pretty anti-union or just like uninformed about it. And so in a lot of cases, they're not very disposed to it, you know, like it's not a predisposed like uh, inclination, if that makes sense. So I don't know. I just I, I, I don't I don't want to say that like um, it's a hopeless cause. I'm definitely hopeful, um, but I do think it's a because also it's not involving like economic unionizing it's it's foreign to people in that way so i just think even though it's not hopeless it's maybe daunting and so i'm trying to like measure my expectations does that answer your question it absolutely answers my question and the thing i would kind of say is you know i think with a solidarity network that you're trying to form i think that would be a great resource right because then you'd have these other um, whether they be unions or just people who support what you're doing involved in, you know, if you have people in those apartments, they can be your like point person, you know what I mean? And that might help a little bit with that as well, you know? Yeah, for sure. And also like, I just think that it might be more adaptive to the material needs that are here. Right. Cause like, what if the real problem is not so much that tenant there's a big need for tenant unions, but maybe there's a big need for a harm reduction program, right? For like, you know, clean needles or something. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily know. I, I mean, I'm obviously I'm not from Augusta, so I don't know the place. I haven't been trying to pay attention for as long as I would have been in Texas. So I don't, I don't really know the material conditions well enough to say like, Oh, these are what, this is what the solution that people need. This is the problem people have. <laughs> you know what I mean? So having that solidarity network posture might open us up to more potential uh, struggles that we're maybe weren't, we weren't seeing before. Absolutely. Um, trying to think if I have any other questions, I'm sorry, I'm bad at that. Um, I mean, honestly, I don't have any other questions for you. Um, yeah. If you guys have any more questions for me, I'm definitely willing and available to answer them. Well, um, my wife just got in the car, and uh, I'm going to go ask her how her day was. So I think this might be a good place to stop this current interview. <laughs> but I would like to do this again, because this was great. Absolutely. And if y'all are interested, could potentially see if someone else would want to join me as well. Awesome. Thank y'all for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for coming on. We, we very much appreciate it. And since for some reason there is no formal outro, thank you so much again, Jason, for letting us interview you. There is going to be a part two of this episode. I am in the process of handling it now. We cannot wait to have you listen to us in our conversations next time on The Wrong Core. See you next time.